Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. The waters off the Georgia coast are a vital calving ground for the North Atlantic right whale. This calving season, which winds down in April, has been a rare bright spot for the critically endangered whales. Scientists have so far counted more babies this year than the last three seasons combined. Still a few have already died, and experts say the gains may not be enough to save the species. We've lost 20% of the entire species just in 10 years. And if, it, if they keep going this direction, they could really be facing extinction. What we need to do is find ways to reduce our impacts. In this episode of Georgia Today, we hear what's being done to protect the right whale, Georgia's official marine mammal. I'm joined by reporter Emily Jones, who oversees GPB's Savannah Bureau. Emily, thank you for joining us. The number of right whales is down to around 375 by the last official count. So few that scientists can actually give each of them individual names. What are we seeing during this most recent calving season? What are the numbers showing us now? On the one hand, it's been really exciting to watch because it has been one of the most successful calving seasons, certainly in the last you know seven years. But then within that number, they actually estimate that there are fewer than 100 calving females out there. So that's, that's even fewer whales that are able to, you know, have babies and continue perpetuating the species. So yeah, the drop off in the population um, has been pretty steep and we're at the moment don't have anything that looks like a plateau, not to mention a turnaround to see that population starting to tick back up again. They do these surveys in airplanes. So they spot the pairs of mothers and and babies swimming together, and they spotted 17 of them. However, they estimate that they need actually something in the neighborhood of like 24, about two dozen a year for several years in a row just to even like stabilize the population. And then also there's been several tragedies this season. I I said there were 17 calves that were born and were spotted with their mothers. One of them has actually already been hit by a boat and killed. Today, a NOAA aircraft found that calf's mother. News for Jack's reporter Bree Isom joining us live with new details. Bree, there's video of the mom swimming off our coast. Yes, so a NOAA aircraft filled with some right whale observers flew up today from Volusia County and found the mom, Infinity, in Georgia. The right whale calf was hit by a sports fisherman boat. So NOAA Fisheries has regulations that say you cannot be within 1,500 feet of a right whale. And in perspective, that's about five football fields. I'm live in Jacksonville, Bree Isom, Channel 4, the local station. And then there were at least two whales this season, also adult whales that were seen off of um, the Georgia, Florida coast that were severely entangled. And one of those whales actually died. They found its body floating in the water. And then the other whale was very severely entangled and it actually hasn't been seen since. It's amazing how huge these things are. I think the blue whale might be the biggest whale on the planet, but second to that are right whales who can weigh like 
200,000 pounds or something insane like that. Yeah, yeah, they're they're up to 52 feet long, according to Noah. Are there any estimates on when the population was at its healthiest, at its peak? How many thousands of, of these animals were swimming the oceans? So I was able to find some scientists that estimated the pre-whaling, pre-hunting population. I mean, it's really tough to pin down at between 9,000 and a little over 21,000. So we think of the whaling period as sort of especially the mid to late 19th century. And then they were really able to sort of industrialize the process, which both accelerated whaling because they had, you know, steam powered ships and they had these more powerful cannons and harpoons that exploded and all kinds of, you know, crazy, more deadly things. And one of the things that that process did was enable them to hunt bigger whales and, you know, whales that were kind of outside of of the realm of possibility for for whalers in the past but right whales actually have always been hunted because they are close to shore and they are a whale that you can kill from a wooden sailing ship throughout the 19th century they were able to to hunt these whales in the very classic way you know described in in moby dick so by the by the early 1890s they had really been hunted to the brink of extinction they estimate that they actually reached a low of around 100 um by you know the turn of the century the early 20th century and then the u.s finally banned whaling in the 1970s um, and also passed the marine mammal protection act on january 20th 1969 richard nixon was inaugurated president he identified the environment as the defining issue of the new decade. The great question of the 70s is, shall we surrender to our surroundings or shall we make our peace with nature and begin to make reparations for the damage we have done to our air, to our land, and to our water? And at the same time in 1970 was also when right whales were listed as an endangered species. So they've, they've been under protection since then. So if we ban whaling in the early 1970s, that's what, 50 years ago, why has the population of right whales not bounced back and in fact gotten worse? So they did bounce as far back as about 500 whales. But the thing is, we're not actively hunting them. We don't go out on ships with harpoons and kill them anymore, um, but we are killing them. The main common causes of death are being hit by a ship or getting entangled in fishing gear. Well, let's talk for a bit about what makes the right whale unique and especially pressured among whale species. There are records from the medieval period of right whales being hunted for food. We refer to them as the right whale because that was one of the names that, that whalers actually used for them kind of informally because they were the right whale. If you were out whaling, they were the right whale to kill because right whales live relatively close to to the coast. Um, and they also have a really high blubber content, so they float when they die. So if you're a whaler, that's pretty convenient. The population needs roughly two dozen new calves every season in order just to stabilize the population. Uh, I'm assuming by that you mean that unless they reach that mark, the number, the total number is going to be incrementally going down every year, continuing to go down? There used to be about 450 when I first got here um, in 2014, and now uh, the current estimate is about 375. They revise that estimate every year, um, and it pretty much goes down every year. 
Among the researchers and scientists that you talk to, how would you characterize their state of mind when it comes to the future of the right whale? When I've spoken to scientists this season, they sound a little more optimistic than than maybe in the past. 2017 was really this kind of watershed year for right whales and unfortunately a very tragic year. It's not a sign marine biologists ever want to see. On June 6, a fisherman spotted a dead North Atlantic right whale about 60 kilometers off the coast of the Magdalen Islands. An upsetting discovery, but no immediate cause for alarm. But now, weeks later, five more whales have been found dead. Sarah Levitt, CBC News, Montreal. They were pretty honestly despondent, and, you know, things looked pretty grim. Just ahead, what advocates say is needed to protect the vulnerable North Atlantic right whale species from extinction. This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. We're talking about the dire situation for the North Atlantic right whale. The critically endangered marine mammals calving grounds sit just off the Georgia coast. The whales are especially vulnerable to injury and to death in the busy waters up and down the Atlantic seaboard. Gib Brogan heads up the Ocean Protection Group Oceana's fisheries campaign. These whales have been in a similar situation before, and they have shown signs of recovery, coming up to close to 500 in the early 2000s. And this gives us hope that if we take strong and decisive action right now, that we can help these whales come back. Scientists tell us that the whales need to give birth to around two dozen calves for more than a year in a row to even begin to stabilize the population. I'm joined this week by GPB reporter Emily Jones. So Emily, federal regulators are looking to possibly tighten up the fishing regulations that would protect the right whale. So where do those regulations stand? Is there anything that could possibly be altered in the terms of how the fishing industry operates that might encourage the whales to move about more freely? There is a new proposed fishing regulation that was published in, I think, December of last year. Um, And the comment period for that just closed a few weeks ago. But its goal was to try to put some measures in place to protect right whales. And it also had some, some rules about lines that are easier to break. Weak points in rope, line reductions. Just some changes proposed for lobster traps by the state of Maine. State fishery regulators are trying to be proactive after federal officials said they'd tighten lobstering rules to protect the 400 or so remaining right whales. So right now, the federal government doesn't necessarily have the authority to go in and say there's a bunch of right whales around here and tell lobster fishermen or other fishermen that you cannot be fishing in this area right now. The regulations that do exist are pretty seasonal, but no, there isn't currently a way to say, like, we spotted a whale and its calf, nobody fished there today. And Canada actually did put in place some of the very regulations that that folks are now calling for the U.S. to do, um, and they've apparently been pretty effective. What's at stake here? What do we lose if the right whale actually does go extinct? Anytime you lose any kind of species from the tiniest little zooplankton all the way up through right whales and, and other whales and big sharks can devastate that ecosystem or it can it, it just throws everything out of balance. They're supposed to be out there, out in the ocean. And I think, I mean, if they go extinct, it's because 
we have killed them in a wide variety of ways. When we talk about getting caught in fishing lines, are we talking about nets? What are we talking about specifically there? So the main problem is long lines um, that go vertically through the water. Uh, And those are mostly associated with like lobster and crab fishing and mostly up north. That's kind of the classic lobstering of like there's a buoy on the top of the water and then a long line that goes vertically all the way down to the lobster pot at the bottom. So if you're underwater as a right whale, that's just like a minefield for you to go through. Um, And, you know, they encounter one of those lines and as a whale, their kind of instinctive reaction is to twist and try to roll away from it, which can actually twist the line around them more. I think it's also important to say, I'm saying line because that's kind of the terminology they use, but we are really not talking about fishing line, like, you know, in a fishing pole. I mean, these are ropes. These are really sturdy ropes to stand up to, to you know, sitting there in the water for a long time and then hauling up a pot full of lobsters. And, you know, sometimes it's not too serious and they're able to wriggle free or, or the line just comes off and, you know, maybe they have a scar, but you know, they're able to free themselves, but sometimes they're really, really severe entanglement. Is there a way for scientists to disentangle them? Is that even a viable option? They have been successful in disentangling them. Look at just the Southeast, where we are, Georgia, Florida. Um, Since 2005, they have spotted 24 entangled whales responded to 18 of those cases, and in 11 of those cases, they have managed to partially or completely disentangle the whale. Get that dark green one. All right. And we have long poles with cutters, uh, like you can see here, so we have to get up pretty close. We like to get within uh, 10 feet if we can, 10, 12 feet. You know, we all discuss the operation, what we're going to try on the next approach. If you know what you're doing, you can approach a whale and and you can maybe cut the lines or or find a way to disentangle it. The whales, they're not aggressive. Uh, I've never seen whales turn on you and try to to come at you, but they'll try to avoid you the best you can. And the danger is, you know, the whale changing course and bumping into the boat, knocking the boat over or slapping the boat with the tail or something like that. But yeah, it, it is definitely dangerous. And sometimes with a fresh entanglement, it's too dangerous to get around them. They're still thrashing and going, trying to get out of it themselves. For us, it's a little better if there's been a little bit of time passed so, so the whale's used to the entanglement and, and calm down. So it's a really difficult process. It's a really, you know, risky and can even be fatal um, to the humans process. Um, and just in general, what I'm, what I'm told by the experts is that Yes, disentanglement can work, but it's not really an efficient way of solving the problem. So is there any other way around that? Is there a solution? There is quite a bit of technology that, that exists, and I think more is kind of being developed on a pretty regular basis of, uh, of lineless lobster and crab fishing. It's kind of two basic ideas. Either there's a, still a line, but it's like coiled up and attached to the top of the lobster pot. So you just drop the lobster pot down and then either with a timer or with some kind of, you know, fancy technology where you trigger it from your boat, you can, you know, trigger that to release the buoy and the line. And so the line, you know, the buoy floats up to the top and carries the line with it and you haul up your pot. 
in a very short period of time instead of leaving that line dangling in the water for a really long time. Um, and then the other thing that, that some of them have is actually a thing that inflates, like a sort of an inflatable um, balloon or bladder. And it's a similar thing, either on a timer or, um, or somebody triggering it from a boat. This thing, you know, inflates full of air and floats the lobster or crab pot up to the top so you can haul it in and not have any lines in the water. So that technology actually does exist. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of scientists and, and people from the fishing industry sort of constantly working on it and fi trying to figure out what's best and, and develop new technology and, and that kind of thing. Um, but part of why the population has really had this steep decline is there's also been a declining birth rate at the same time. And that's a little bit tougher to, to suss out, but a lot of it has to do, they think, with the fact that they're having a harder time finding food. That has at least something to do with climate change. The whales went from producing 411 calves between 1990 to 2014, with an average of 17 a year, to just five being born in 2017. Dr. Charles Mayo, director of the Right Whale Ecology Program, told the New York Times, quote, we're looking at the very real possibility of extinction. The whales are having a harder time finding food, um, which is affecting their fertility and, you know, their spacing out their pregnancies longer um, and, and those kinds of things, which are really driving down the population. And then also having a hard time finding food is driving the whales to go look for food in places where they didn't used to be. Researchers think they're struggling to reproduce because our changing climate is messing with their usual feeding and pupping grounds. Migratory patterns of a North Atlantic right whale is basically up and down the east coast of the U.S., up into Canada. So the water is warming, and so the whale has to find colder water in which to feed. Normally, a female whale might have a new baby every couple of years, and that span of time has, has really grown a lot longer, and they suspect that some of that might have to do with the fact that they are having maybe a harder time finding food and, and, you know, being healthy enough. You know, swimming down here to Georgia to have their babies is really exhausting. They don't have food down here, so they, they swim down and they have a baby and they're really tired and exhausted. It's a really pretty onerous process. You know, if they're having a harder time replenishing and finding food once they get back up to the northern waters, that may be part of why they're now having calves more like every six to ten years instead of more like three, which is what's considered kind of normal and healthy. About how long would they live if they weren't, you know, getting caught up in fishing lines or getting hit by ships? What's a, a normal lifespan? Around 70 years um, is, is the normal lifespan for a right whale. They become sexually mature at about age 10. So that's, you know, a 10-year-old whale might be one you would expect to, to have their first baby. And then a healthy, normal whale in a healthy, normal ocean might have a baby every three years. Um, but that, that interval has gotten a lot longer, which, of course, is, is part of this, this rapidly declining birth rate. Along the, the 100 miles or so of the Georgia coast, You've lived there for a number of years. What is sort of the, the perception and relationship that locals have um, or with the right whale that comes by once a year? I mean, I'm a little biased because I've been reporting on these whales, and so I love them and I'm very excited about the whales. But in general, I mean, people seem to think it's pretty cool that these whales are out there. You know, whenever, um, whenever a baby is spotted and that sort of news comes out, people are, oh, you know, 
baby whale. It's, it's you know, it's this cute kind of thing. There's actually a, a local chapter of one of the national conservation groups, Oceana, um, and they actually, in 2017, they started doing this event called Whale Week. So it's really kind of increasingly in recent years turning into something that people are like pretty excited about, that we do have these whales and, and these are their calving grounds. I would say things still look pretty grim and I think it's a really frustrating job to devote your life to tracking and researching and trying desperately to save a species that's on the brink of extinction. And so, you know, nobody's outlook right now is bright, sunny sunshine, <laughs> sunshine and the whales are going to be fine. But I think mostly um, the people I talk to are really dedicated and really determined. They want to spread the word and they want to get the measures in place and do everything we can to save them. My thanks to GPB reporter Emily Jones. As it turns out, the right whale isn't the only Georgia marine species whose habitat is under threat. Advocates say nesting loggerhead sea turtles are especially vulnerable thanks to a U.S. Army Corps of Engineers plan to conduct dredging near the coastline. Army Corps officials say they are following current environmental regulations. The agency has solicited public comments on this dredging plan, and the nonprofit environmental group 100 Miles promises to continue organizing to protect the sea turtles who nest along Georgia's coast. We certainly don't want to lose any turtle in a dread. It's not an easy death. But killing nesting females is especially devastating to our conservation efforts. And that's what this fight is about. We can't afford to lose them. For more, go to gpb.org. I'm Steve Fennessy. This is Georgia Today, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can subscribe to our show anywhere you get podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple. Jess Mador is Georgia Today's producer. Our engineer is Jesse Nyswanger. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.